we're going to look tonight, we're talking about the manger trio. Uh, so many Christmas stories, and uh, I can remember lots of years ago hearing Dr. Wearsby speak to a group of us pastors, and he said, you know, at Christmas, one of the things that pastors get into habit of doing is trying to find something unique to say at Christmas. And he said, really, people just want to hear the old story again. They don't want to hear something unique. They just want to be reminded of the old story. And so after that, I tried to every year tell the story, maybe in a little different way, but keep going back to the old story because that's what makes Christmas Christmas. It's what reminds us and sets the foundation for all that we believe and all that we celebrate at this season. So this is a series that's, sorry, I didn't prepare it fresh for you. It's been used before. That's why I told Pastor I could do it so uh, he could have some Sunday nights off and He's getting ready for his transformation series and doing some extra things for that. So I said, hey, I can do a little series of devotionals uh, that, and let's sing some Christmas carols, give people a chance that like to sing to, to do that. And so uh, um, tonight we're going to look at the second voice. But let me start just by reading from chapter 2 in verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused or betrothed wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that, should, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Fathers, we look at your word just for a few minutes together tonight. I pray, Father, that you might be honored by our words, by our speaking, by our hearing, by our thinking as we just reflect again upon these characters which you divinely chose as part of the plan to give us that indescribable gift of your son, in whose name we pray, amen and amen. We talked last week about Joseph. I said that he's often the most neglected Christmas character. Don't hear a lot of sermons on Joseph, and yet Joseph was a man, it said, who was just or righteous. And because of that, it says that he didn't just rush out and make, uh, want to make Mary a public disgrace. He thought about that. He had the right to do that. But he stopped, it said, and rather to think on these things. And while he was thinking, the word of God came to him through an angel. And the angel told him the message. And once he heard that message, having heard it, and after the angel was gone, he did, as the angel said, he obeyed that message. He was just a righteous man. By the way, I just want to talk about Joseph. Joseph was a faithful man. He's famous only because of this one incident. We don't know anything else about Joseph. One little incident. And yet, that wasn't his only time to be faithful. He was a faithful person, a faithful man. And I think one of the things that I, in our culture today, where everything is about glitz and glitter and famous, that we need to be reminded God's looking for faithful people. Just be faithful. 
If he chooses to make you famous, fine. But I want to remind you that if you look throughout the pages of history, there's very few people really mentioned by name in Scripture when you look at all the other people that were alive and serving God. And the important thing isn't that we be famous, but that we be faithful. No one's going to get to heaven and God says, going to say, well done, thou good and famous servant. He's going to say, faithful. And just be faithful. And I thought of the people who have pastored in small churches their whole life and no one, you and I don't know who they are, but the Lord knows who they are. And they've been faithful. And one day they're going to receive a crown for their faithfulness. And so in a world that's always, you know, you, the glitz and the glitter and being famous, having your picture in the paper on Facebook or wherever you want your picture to be. Um, just remember that God's looking for faithful men and women, young men and young women, boys and girls, who are just faithful to do what he's called them to do. And you never know what God will do with that faithfulness. He may do something like he did with Joseph. We're going to talk about another faithful person tonight, and that's the second voice of the manger trio. That is the voice of Mary. Mary is an interesting character to me. Probably most commentators agree that she was probably 17 years old, maybe 18. Now, indeed, it was a different world than we live in today. And uh, young girls got married early, but they also grew up fast in those days. And there wasn't this uh, preteen, teenage kind of stuff. You just, you know... Once you turned 13, you were an adult. You worked like an adult. They worked you like a, you know, a borrowed mule. Whether you're a guy or gal, it didn't matter. It was a different world. There wasn't the time to grow up that there is today. But yet, given again the society in which she lived and the culture in which she lived, it's interesting to see that God would choose her. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But tonight I want us to look in chapter 1 and verse 26. And we're going to talk tonight about Mary, a woman of the word. Because it's interesting to me that throughout these verses on Mary, we are drawn again and again back to the fact that she knew the word and she obeyed the word. And so we're going to look at that together. Let's read in verse chapter 1 verses 26 through 37 where we read and in the sixth month the angel of Gabriel that's a sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy which is what they were just talking about and in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now Luke makes a big deal here for us to realize, to recognize that they are espoused or betrothed. It's more than engagement because it could only be broken by a public act, by a legal act. When you were betrothed to someone, it, you were as good as married, but you weren't allowed to live together yet. Interesting concept, but nonetheless, that's the way it was. It was a contract. And when, that's why when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, not yet having heard from the angel, he thought, now what am I going to do? Because that would have been a great disgrace on him, on his family, and yet he didn't want to make a public disgrace of Mary. 
So Luke wants us to be clear here that she's still a virgin. Their marriage hasn't been consummated. And that's important before the story that comes. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art the highly favored, actually means especially blessed, especially graced. The word favor means great, is the word grace there. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And it could actually be translated in the Greek, most blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. The angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. The very first thing we found about Mary in the Word is that she was a woman of the Word because she listened to God's Word. Now it came in a way that we're not familiar with. An angel came. And says so she was troubled about what this message might be about. By the way, everybody talks about, you know, the angels and having angels around you all the time, the wonderful thing that is. Every time in the Bible an angel show up, people fall down. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? <laughs> Every time an angel shows up, people fall down. <laughs> it's scared. Fear not. They're always saying, fear not. Why? Because everyone's scared when they see a real angel. So Mary sees this angel, and she gets this message. We don't have time to look at everything in here, but... One of the things I noticed is that she listened to God's word. She did it quietly. She didn't say, well, wait, wait, I got a question on that point. And she let him get through the whole thing. And then she said, just one question. And I don't think it's a question of doubt. I think it's a question of wonder. How could that possibly be? How could I be the mother of the Messiah when I've not known a man? Now, isn't that a legitimate question? It is. And yet she listened quietly. She apparently listened carefully because she understood what he was saying. She said, well, 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 wait a minute. How, how, how's that? Now, see, what you don't understand, and I was talking to someone um, Sunday ago when I preached. I was talking, I think it was Penny, actually, asked me about this uh, Messiah expectation. And the women of Israel expected that they could be, indeed, the mother of the Messiah. They didn't understand all of what that involved and what all that meant, but they knew that the seed of the woman, according to Genesis 3.15, would one day crush the head of the serpent. That's the first promise of Christmas, by the way, Genesis 3.15. Don't know it at Genesis 3.15 that that deals with Christmas, but that's exactly what happens in this passage. The seed of the woman is born to Mary 
uh, through Mary who will become the one who crushes the serpent's head. And so it all starts back in Genesis chapter 3. But the interesting thing to me here is not only does she listen quietly and carefully, but she listens to it all. She asks a question. It's not a question of doubt. Now remember Zacharias, when God told him that Elizabeth was going to have a child and she'd been barren all those years, he kind of laughed and said, that's impossible. Mary's not saying it's impossible. She's just saying, I don't quite see how that could be. That doesn't make sense on the level. And since this is the first time and last time this ever happened in history, we should be able to understand her somewhat puzzlement at this. But she listens. Just notice quickly the five things he tells her about this guy, or this child that's going to be born. It says, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now verse 32, He shall be great. He shall be called Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. There's a sermon there in itself, but we won't go there tonight. But she listens to him. And most of us, maybe none of us, have ever seen an angel. If you've had an angel talk to you, maybe I don't want you to tell me. Just keep it to yourself. No, I don't know. But I've never had an angel talk to me. I've never had God talk to me while I was walking in the woods. Unlike the lady that stood up in my service one evening and said, I was out sitting on the porch last night and I saw Jesus in a tree. And I go, oh no, where do I go with this one? <laughs> I've never seen Jesus in a tree. Uh, but I have God who speaks to me every day if I want to listen. In the Old Testament, you had to wait for an angel to talk to you or a prophet to come to town. But we have the great benefit of having to hear God, of being able to hear God's voice every single day that we want to. Someone once asked me, how come God doesn't talk to us anymore? I said, because we don't want him to. I said, what do you mean we don't want him to? I said, well, he talks to us every day if we'll pick up his word. God's word, he wants to speak to us. The question is, do we want to speak with him? But Mary listens to the word of God. She listens quietly, carefully, completely. And the promises that he gives her are promises that come from 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verses through 13 through 16 where David is told that one will come from his lineage that will be these very things. But why else was Mary a, a woman of the word? Not only did she listen to God's word, and that just reminds us we need to put ourselves in places where we can listen to God's word. We have to have a heart that not only hears but that listens. When our son Wesley was little, I was watching him one day while Donna was working and um, I was trying to do some reading and stuff while he was working and he was saying something to me and I go, yeah, 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 you know, whatever you do, just a little thing, yeah, and I'm reading. And finally he comes over, he's about three years old, takes his little hands, puts them on my face and says, listen, Dad, I'm talking to you. <laughs> now he'd seen that somewhere before. <laughs> But really, are we listening to what God says? We've got to take the time to stop and listen. In the midst of all the hustle and bustles and trimmings and trappings and uh, 
uh, ribbons and wrappings and all the stuff that Christmas has become. And I'm not saying any of that's wrong in and of itself. But when it distracts us from listening to the word of God, then we've got a problem. We need to stop and listen to what God wants to say. And we have so many opportunities. Not only do we have our own copies, many of us, many copies of the word of God. We've got radio, we've got TV, we've got CDs, we've got um, your telephone, about any place you go. If you want to hear from God, there's no reason you can't. But you do have to quiet your soul and stop and listen and not just hear. Then secondly, because she submitted to God's word. Notice what she says in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid. The word there is servant, and it's the word doulos, but the, when it's translated handmaid, it has the idea of the lowest possible slave in a household. It was a person who waited on the household person hand and foot, as we say. Just, I'm a handmaid. I'm a handmaid. I'm here. I'm your servant. Whatever you say. I don't have to understand it all because she didn't. But I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do because I'm here to serve you. This Christmas season, God may ask us to do something that's more different than what we were expecting. He may ask us to walk out of our comfort zone. He may ask us to do something that others will think of as ridiculous or crazy or kind of silly. But if God asks us, we need to be ready to do it. And to just say, your servant. Humbly, willingly, fully. She says, whatever you say. We don't have to understand it all. Don't have to be able to explain it. Don't have to have five reasons. You know, again, we used to tell our kids, you tell them to do something, go, why? Why do I have to do that? And there are times when you need to give reasons, but also we all need to just learn to obey because we were asked to. Now, we want to obey people we trust and who have, but you can learn sometimes just to say, okay, I don't have to understand it. I don't have to get the whole picture. I don't have to see everything, how it's going to turn out. I'm just going to trust you. Now, I want to tell you that this is a pretty phenomenal thing, if you haven't picked that up yet, that Mary is going to have a child by the Holy Ghost. The seed is going to be conceived within her. Of course, it is the spirit who hovered over the water in the Old Testament of, the, of chapter 1 of Genesis who created all things along with the Father and the Son. And that same spirit is now going to create a seed in Mary that's going to ultimately bear a child which is the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you can figure that out, we can do a book. Give me 10% and we'll be rich. And <laughs> we'll both be rich. Can't figure all that out. And you know what happens to Mary and Joseph? All of their life, they deal with this issue. So that Jesus, as he deals, talks with the Pharisees at the end of life, so wait a minute, aren't you the one who's of the illegitimate birth? We know who our father is, understood. You don't even know who your dad really is. And their whole life, because they were willing to be God's servant no matter what, they had the constant whispering behind their back, the constant tithering. There they go again. 
Yeah, he says he's some really holy man. You know, his mom and dad, they had to get married. And that never left. Till the very end of Jesus' life, that was the story. And you have to admit, any other story is hard to believe if we didn't have the word of God. That's why Joseph's actions are so remarkable to me. That he was willing to listen to God even when he knew for the rest of his life, however long that was, and we think he died early because he's not mentioned in scripture after the 13th birthday of Jesus. But it amazes me that he nonetheless does what this angel tells him. And so she submitted to God's word. She said, whatever. Then notice in verses 39 through 45 that she acted upon God's word. It says, and Mary arose in those days and went into a hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutations of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy and blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. She acted on the word of God. She went to see Elizabeth, who had been barren, and no one could believe that she would be with child. So unusual and unexpected was it. It says Mary hid herself for five months from everybody because she thought, you know, who knows what this really is all about. But it's interesting, Dr. Wiersbe said there's three uh, pictures of joy. There's the joy of Elizabeth. There's a joy of Mary, and there's a joy of John in the womb of Mary, because the baby leapt with joy. Pretty interesting note here, I think. But she acted on, she believed what God said, and she wanted to go and see Mary, or see Elizabeth, and share with her what the Spirit is. And as she comes in, she gets that affirmation from God, because Elizabeth says, blessed art thou of all the women. I don't know if the angel spoke to her. I'm assuming somehow she got the message. And she reaffirms what the Spirit has already said to her. Mary didn't say, well, I think I'll just go home and see what happens. But rather she went out, says, into the hill country, probably to the hills around Jerusalem there is where John lived because he was a priest and he couldn't live too far away. And, um, but they go and she, stay, and she goes there and visits Mary. And the words that are used here speak are words of Belief, not words of doubt. She didn't say, I want to tell you something, Elizabeth. You're not going to believe this. I mean, I don't believe it myself. But rather, there was this understanding. And so because she acted upon God's word, and the number four, because she magnified God's word. Verses 46 through 56, we could spend a couple weeks on. We're not going to do that, I promise, tonight. (laughs) But she magnified God's word. Three ways. First of all, by memorizing it, and then by singing it, and then by applying it. Just listen to these wonderful words. It's often called the Magnificat. It's a song, it's called, it consists almost entirely of Old Testament allusions and quotations. Notice what it says. I want to read it. Just 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. 
And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. These first few verses, she talks about God's grace to her. How his word, and she takes these Old Testament passages, and we don't have time to look them up and give all the references. You can look in any, any commentary for that. But the point is, is that she understands that this is personally applied to her. She starts with herself that the magnificence of God, the holiness of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God is for her. And she shares that in these first few verses. I said she memorized it because, remember, they didn't have a Bible in those days. It's really pretty unique to see someone who can quote so much Scripture. And if you follow this through and go through and look at all the Old Testament references, how much Scripture she knew by heart. And so she had spent time memorizing it. This is the Song of Hannah from, from 2 Samuel, um, or from 1 Samuel, I believe, uh, Yep, 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. Mary's song has similarities to that. So she had memorized it. And then she sang this. And she applied it, first of all, to herself. He saved her, verse 47. He chose her, verse 48. He was mighty for her in verse 49. And then in verses 50 to 53, she applies it to mankind. For she says, And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their, ima in their imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats. And... Um, from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath set empty away. In essence, he said, when it comes to men that this one who's coming, God as the son is going, is, has and is going, will help the helpless, the humble, and the hungry. He has also helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She goes on to say as she talks now about how it's applied to Israel. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed for other. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. As I said, so much more we could talk about in these verses. But the point I want you to draw away with me tonight is that Mary was a woman of the word. She heard, listened to it, not just heard it, but really listened. She submitted to it. You know, often when we come into the church service, we need to come in with a heart attitude and say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to say to me today, but whatever it is, I'm ready to obey it. As I said last week, we, people don't like to talk about obey. It's a bad word. And yet the scripture is full of the importance of obedience of being obedient to the Father and to his word. But not only did she listen and submit herself to it, but she acted upon it. You know, it's one thing to walk up front and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm, I'm going to agree with that. It's another thing to go through the doors and actually do what you said you're going to do. And then she magnified God's word. In other words, she began to reflect and rejoice in the word of God. I can't help but think that that was something that spilled over in her relationships in her life. I remember meeting some people 
who you couldn't bump into them without the word of God spilling over because their hearts and lives are so filled with the word of God. That's what I want to be. I want it when the people of the world bump into me that what comes out is the word of God, not the words of men or man. And Mary was that kind of person. She was filled with the word of God. The word of God is what ultimately can encourage us, strengthen us, help us, challenge us. And we need all of those. And the more that we immerse ourselves in God's word, the more prepared we will be to be his servant, whatever he calls us to do. It has amazed me through the years that even when I've not prepared, when I've not sat down and thought about it this week, but someone comes with some issue, some question, some difficulty, how God will take his, the word that I've studied in the past and bring it back to memory. And how God will take things that maybe studied 20 years ago and hadn't really thought about it much. And when the time comes, because I've put it in, it can come out. And as we said last week, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. This used to be old computer. When computers first started, we said, you put garbage in a computer, get garbage out. In other words, you've got to put the right stuff in if you want to get the right answer out. But it's the same way with our minds, hearts and minds. There's lots of stuff you can put in your minds, but you'll never do better than putting the Word of God in your mind. doesn't mean you can't learn other things. doesn't mean you have to, you know, give up everything else. But how much of God's Word are we putting into our hearts and lives? How much have we memorized? How much could we even give a good gist of to people? That's why, again, and I just always encourage people this, I think there's benefit in just listening to God's word. Not studying it. There's a place to study it. You need that. But I like to just listen and just let it fill my heart and mind. And I may, you know, not get it all when I listen to it, but I try to listen personally four chapters a day in a psalm. And that gets me through the Bible in a year. And I actually get through the Psalms twice and the Gospels three times by just listening to four chapters a day. You can do it while you're riding your exercise bike, while you're walking, while you're driving in the car. But just letting the Word of God fill your heart and mind. And then you'll be amazed how often God will allow you opportunity to reflect on that and think on that. And so I just want to encourage you this Christmas season, find some time to just get along with the Word. I'm reading through the Christmas stories over Christmas. I've heard them before. I've preached them a lot. But I just want to fill my heart and mind with the goodness of God and the grace of God and the examples of these men and women who were faithful to hear God's word and to obey it, to apply it, to use it in their lives. So this Christmas season, I hope you'll find some extra time just to listen. Maybe listen to a sermon by someone else. Maybe open a, a book up and read books. Yeah, books, they're like these. <laughs> you can open those up. You can read those. Uh, get your Kindle out, whatever you need. Um, but just fill your heart with the word of God so that when God gets ready to call you to do something and chooses you to do something, you'll be mentally prepared 
spiritually prepared to say as Mary did, I'm just your servant. I'm ready to do whatever you ask.